We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Tonight, I want to go back to Mark, the 10th chapter. I want to look at uh, a verse there. I also want to uh, consider a couple other places in the Scripture. This account that we're about to read, uh, many of you are familiar with blind Bartimaeus. There's something very amazing about this this account that that I want to reach in there and grab. It's one verse, and it... um, it's down in verse 49. And you know the, the lead up to this is that Jesus is on his way from Jericho to Jerusalem. He's, he's headed toward Calvary. He's, he's on his way to the cross. He's about a week away, about one week away from being crucified. And as he is, we've said before, he set his face like a flint toward Calvary. He's, he's not been dissuaded. He's not been moved. He's not going to be dissuaded from Calvary. And as he comes along this pathway to Calvary, there's a blind man named Bartimaeus. And blind Bartimaeus sitting beside the, the road there begins to cry out to Jesus. He begins to cry out, uh, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And, and we read this amazing statement here in verse 49. It says, and Jesus stood still. Jesus stood still. Over in the book of Acts, the seventh chapter, we read about a man named Stephen. This man named Stephen began to preach the gospel message to the Jews over there that were uh, in full rebellion against the Lord. And he took about actually about two chapters there uh, where he preaches to them of the history of Israel and leading up to the time of the crucifixion of Christ and, and his death and burial and resurrection. And, and we're told there that uh, they were cut to the heart, which we'll talk about in a minute, and they, and they came upon him to stone him. And as he is being stoned to death, as he is being uh, uh, about to lose his life on this earth there, he looks up into the heavens and he sees that Jesus stood up. So here we see that Jesus stood still. We're going to see in the seventh chapter of Acts that Jesus stood up. But then there's another verse that I want to go grab as we go through this message found in the book of Hebrews, the first chapter, about the third uh, verse. And it says over there in that, in that verse that Jesus sat down. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne on high. Now, what does all this mean? What, is, what should we take from this? There was a time when Jesus stood still. There was a time when Jesus stood up. There was a time when Jesus sat down. Well, I think we're going to see as we go through this message tonight, if the Lord will be our helper, that the fact that Jesus could stand still and the fact that Jesus could stand up all springs from the fact that one time Jesus sat down. 
So let's, let's look at these for a few minutes. Here we see the story of blind Bartimaeus. He was, he was sitting on the, the highway side begging, we find in Mark chapter 10 and verse 46. And as Jesus uh, was about to come that way, there was a throng of people. And it says in verse 47, he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. And he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And we see in verse 48, many charged him that, they, that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And here we read again that amazing statement, and Jesus stood still. Jesus has done many great miracles up to this point. He has performed uh, all kinds of amazing uh, 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 miracles in his life. He has ch turned water into wine. He has fed the 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread. He has walked on the water. He has raised the dead to life. But I would submit to you that this is probably one of the greatest miracles of the whole Bible that Jesus, in response to the cry of a blind Bartimaeus, Jesus stood still. See, Bartimaeus was nobody. Bartimaeus was, we're told he was the son of Timaeus. When, when Matthew writes about it, he doesn't even call him by name. You can look in the 20th chapter of Matthew. said a certain blind man. When Luke talks about it, he says he was one of two. So there was another blind man. No doubt there were many other blind men there on Jesus' path going up to Calvary, going up to Jerusalem. Who was Bartimaeus? Who is this man? Who is this one who could, could cause the Savior to stop in his tracks and stand still? Now understand again the setting here. Jesus is only one week away from Calvary. He knows what's coming. The disciples never quite got it until it happened. But Jesus knows. He can look toward Jerusalem and in his mind's eye he can already see the, the storm clouds of Calvary gathering on the horizon. No doubt he knows what's coming. He wasn't going into this thing blind. He knew exactly where he was going. He knew exactly where each of his footsteps were going to go. <laughs> you know, I don't even know where my next step will be. But let me tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ knew every step leading him up to Calvary. And you know, when I get something on my mind that is, that is so enormous, maybe it's, a, well, I, I use my, my experience in the election a few years ago. Man, when I was in the middle of that election, there was nothing else hardly on my mind that I could keep, at least not work-related. Social settings, nothing, everything was geared toward that. It was easy for me to neglect the things that I needed to do, especially the quote-unquote minor things. Now let me, let me say this to you all here who are members of this church and who aren't, who may just think you might need some help from me sometime. Not one time. I, I'd hear this all the time. It, it didn't make me mad, but I said it made me mad. It didn't really make me mad. But people would say, I know you're just too busy to help me pastor listen i'm never too busy by god's grace i was able i believe to keep my focus on the church that was the one thing that was more important than the election okay so so when the time comes around again for the election 
uh, in a few more years. Do not, do not ever tell me, well, I just know you're too busy to talk to me. I'm always available. I'll stop what I'm doing to come. That's, our focus should be the kingdom of God, okay? So we got that out of the way. But beyond that, forget, you know, lay, lay aside the kingdom of God. There was nothing more important to me at that time than that election. It was looming. In, it was an enormous event looming in my mind. And it was so easy to, to neglect things and just to keep, you know, to forget things. She could tell you she had to remind me all kinds of stuff that I needed to do. Think about Jesus. That was nothing compared to what he's about to experience. He's got the single, single most important event in history coming up on his calendar. He's about a week away from it. How easy would it have been to zip right on through the crowd, to, to justifiably, just to cut right through them and say, stand aside, get these disciples to say, hey, move it, get us. You know, they tended to do that. They tended to do that on their own, didn't they? Stand aside, get away, uh, coming through, you know, Jesus of Nazareth coming through here. <laughs> And then this old blind man, this, 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 this blind man, notice what it says in verse 46. They came to Jer Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, apparently, apparently this was a nickname. Oh, that's, that's old blind Bartimaeus. You know, that's probably like the, you know, they may call me old crazy Chris, you know. <laughs> I mean, they, you know, that's just something that became a, attached to him. This is blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. So not only was he blind, he was also destitute. He had to beg for a living. He was blind, he couldn't see, and he had nothing to take care of himself with. Now think about this, if you're blind, that's bad, and that's bad. But, but if you're also a millionaire, then you can kind of take care of yourself, can't you? There's not really a hindrance to you. I mean, you can't see, but you can hire all kinds of help. You can hire all kinds of people. You can buy the right kinds of machinery. You can, you can have the right kinds of, of, uh, uh, of things in your house that are set up to help you if you're blind. If you got the money. But you know, if you're blind and also destitute, you're in a pretty bad shape, aren't you? What can you do? And how important are you in the lives of those around you? You're really just a hindrance, aren't you? You're really just, oh, so blind Bartimaeus. Who is that screaming? I can just see the disciple. Who in the world is that? He's out there. He says he began to cry out. Not just say, hey, where's Jesus? He's crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. You know, I can see them coming, the disciples and Jesus. And, and here they come through the crowd, and there's a crowd there anyway. And the next thing you know, you know, you ever had something that just kind of crept up on you? You know, you weren't really paying attention, but all of a sudden you realize somebody's screaming. You know, that's kind of do that when you have babies, right? <laughs> you, kind of, you kind of, when you have young kids, you'll have, a lot of times you get to where you can ignore the, 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 loud, the loud sounds, the din of noise that's going on, and then suddenly it just dawns on you, what in the world is going on? The kids are over, ah, 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 
right. And then all of a sudden, you know, they've been doing it for a while, and suddenly you explode and say, what are you doing? You know, what's, who is this? What's going on? And next thing you know, you know, it's, well, that's my experience at least. I'll put it that way. <clears throat> I, I'm, I really don't want you to ever ask my kids to elaborate on any of these stories that I tell, okay? But <clears throat> I can just see the disciples coming through there you know, preceding Jesus with this crowd. And you hear this, you, you kind of starts, it starts coming up on your consciousness that somebody's screaming, somebody's hollering, get closer. And this guy's just, you know, Jesus, son of... And then, the, so many people say, you need to be quiet, Brian Bartimaeus. And, but it says then, he cried the more a great deal. He wouldn't shut up. He kept hollering and screaming. I can see them say, who, what is the world is going on? That's just old blind Bartimaeus. He won't hush. We're trying to get him to be quiet. He won't shut up. <laughs> what do you do in that situation? Well, you just kind of, you know, you kind of put your hand up and you just kind of go on, right? You just kind of kind of try to ignore it. Isn't that what we do sometimes? Guy that's begging on the side of the road, I'm sorry. Sometimes I just start fiddling with my radio, you know, and just kind of go on. Don't try to take the time to investigate the matter any further. Justifiably, the Lord could have gone right by on his way to Calvary. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. What? Notice, <laughs> remember I told you the setting of any passage is important. You remember what he's just taught them? We, we, we talked about it this morning. We preached this morning about the, the, the fact that unlike Ricky Bobby, you know, if you're not first, you're last. Rather, in the kingdom of God, if you're not last, you're lost. You've lost your way in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus has just been teaching them. He said, he said in the Gentile world, in verse 42, I'm paraphrasing, you can read it. He said, their great ones exercise authority over them. They, they exercise lordship over a lot of people. That's how you know who is great in the kingdoms of men, in the Gentile world. But verse 43 said, so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. Whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. Now listen to this. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. <laughs> a ransom for many. Notice what he's saying here, even the Son of Man. And, and, and it's almost like he's saying, can you believe it? Can you really believe it? Even the Son of Man did not come down here to be some Lord, to lord it over the creation and to sit up on his throne and have people fan him and come to him and bring him uh, treats to eat and wine to drink. He wasn't here to be served. He came to minister. The word there, as we said this morning, is the word we now uh, use for deacon, diakonos in Greek. He was to be a minister. He was to be a servant. He was, to, he was not coming down here to be fawned over or to take the throne of some Gentile king and become like those, especially those uh, old Near Eastern monarchs that were treated almost like they were gods. He came to minister. 
He, came, he said, you're, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to be a slave. You've got to be, you've got to be a servant of all. And that word literally, doulos, means slave. You've got to be a slave. <clears throat> and here he comes through, the Lord of glory, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Holy One of Israel. The great, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God of the universe who created this, this ball of dirt that we live upon and that he was walking upon. And when he hears an insignificant blind Bartimaeus, he stands still. I call that a miracle. I call that amazing that he would do that. He stood still. But now let me ask you this, though. Are we really surprised? Haven't we learned enough about Jesus? Haven't we learned enough about his compassion and his mercy and his love for his people? Haven't we read where, where that he is a God full of compassion and long-suffering and plenteous and mercy and truth? The psalmist in Chapter 86 and verse 15 tells us that. Haven't we read in Psalm 103 and verse 17 that the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him? Did we not hear Daniel say in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 9 that to the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against Him? Why was blind Bartimaeus blind? What? Had he done something? Was it... I don't, we're not told anything about that. But I can tell you exactly why he was blind. Because Adam fell in the garden. And the curse of sin came upon this world. Why do we get, have blind people today? Why do we have crippled people today? Why do we have, why do we have those that are sick? Why did, why did this friend that I mentioned die today? Because Adam's sin and the curse of sin is upon us. But Micah tells us, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? This blind man was blind as a product of sin. I don't know exactly why, but I know it was a product of the sin curse that is upon this world. This blind man was not a great man in the sight of the world. He was one that they tried to hush. He was one they tried to keep quiet. But this blind man called out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. Are we surprised that our merciful God stopped and stood still to hear this man? <laughs> you know, there's something interesting about this encounter that we don't need to miss. After he stood still... Why would he stand still? Why? This man called him by his name. This man, you know, you know what the son of David is? The son of David is his messianic title. That's his title. You know, we call him the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. We call, but Christ, Christos, is, is the term for the Messiah, the anointed one. And especially in that day, uh, they would have understood that the Messiah was the son of David. That, that was the specifically Jewish term for their Messiah. Jesus stopped and sent for him, and he came. 
In verse 51, he said, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. <clears throat> now, I want to ask you a question. What does Jesus say about this man's condition that he's in? What does he say? What is the comment we read here about the condition that this blind man was already in? Notice what Jesus said. Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. You know what Jesus is telling us here? Jesus is telling us, hey, that's one of mine right there. That's one of mine. You know why? He's one of mine because he's got faith. He's got faith. He's, he's declaring him. He's, he's pointing out to us and to him your faith that you already possess hath made thee whole. Now, that's not some kind of name it and claim it prosperity gospel preaching. What he's telling here is, is that, what he's telling us here is that this man, this blind Bartimaeus, who is insignificant in the sight of the world, he is calling out, uh, calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of David, and that is the evidence that he already has the faith that comes to us in the new birth. You see, all men have not faith, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I believe it is in verse 2. All men, Paul said all men have not faith. Where does faith come from? Galatians 5, 22 tells us faith is a fruit of the Spirit, the capital S, Spirit, a fruit of the Spirit of God. How does, how does fruit, what's the relationship of fruit to the tree? Uh, is, is, is an apple tree an apple tree because it has apples on it? <laughs> Or, or does the tree bear apples because it's already an apple tree? You see, the apple, the fruit, doesn't bear the tree. The tree bears the fruit. If there's fruit there, that means the tree is already of that type to bear that kind of fruit. Galatians 5.22 tells us faith is, is a part of the ninefold, I believe it is, fruit of the Spirit. He says, your faith, your, your faith hath made you whole. <laughs> I like that. Jesus stood still. You know why he stood still? For one of his children that was insignificant in the sight of the world, that didn't, didn't have any claim upon any power or authority or position. He stood still, though, when one of his children called upon him. I'm so thankful that's the case. Did you know that when we call upon him today as his children, he stands still, he listens to us, he hears us. Jesus stood still for blind Bartimaeus. But we also mentioned earlier that there's a, there was a time when Jesus stood up. Over in the seventh chapter of Acts, you actually start, we actually start in the sixth chapter reading about a man named Stephen who who was appointed to be a deacon, one of the first deacons. And then we, we read where that uh, there came a problem in the synagogue and the Jews brought false witnesses and other kinds of witnesses up before uh, the Sanhedrin, before the, 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 the officers there, to accuse Stephen of blasphemy. And we're not going to take time to read the whole chapter, chapter 7, but if you read it sometime, you'll see one of the best messages 
about the history of God's dealing with the nation of Israel that you'll ever find. You'll even learn some things about Joseph and about Jacob and some things that aren't included in the Old Testament that will, it'll illuminate some of that. And it'll te- but through the whole message, he's weaving in there the gospel of the grace of God. He's explaining to them what Jesus did and what he came to do. And it says that, uh, uh, you know, uh, back over in, in, in Mark chapter, uh, chapter 10, we read about a man who had faith, a man whose who's, uh, uh, heart was already filled with faith, already had faith in it. But notice in verse, verse 54 of Acts chapter 7, when they, that is these folks that Stephen is preaching to, heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Let me stop right there and say this. The only thing that your preaching or my preaching can do to one who's not been born again is cut them to the heart and make them mad. (laughs) That's all that can happen. Now we read about over in Acts the second chapter in the 37th verse, I believe it is, we read about some men that were pricked in the heart. It says, when they heard the, this, they were pricked in their hearts. Now, that's a different thing than being cut to the heart. When you're pricked in the heart, beloved, that's something only the Holy Spirit can do. That's something only Jesus Christ can do. But we're told in John chapter 5 and verse 25 that He will speak to them. The voice of the Son of God is that which speaks to them in the new birth. And praise God, that voice can speak to that baby before the abortioner's scalpel reaches Him. He can speak to the to thief on the cross. He can speak to any one of his children wherever they may be it spoke to John the Baptist while he was still in his mother's womb he leaped for joy guess what joy is one of the fruit of the spirit (laughs) part of the fruit of the spirit I can't get to that one in the womb nobody else could get to the thief on the cross Roman soldiers would have kept any tract bearing preacher from approaching up there and saying, hey, I want to preach to you before you die. That thief on the cross who was mocking and who was uh, casting the same cursing in the teeth of the Lord Jesus Christ just moments before something happened and that man was pricked in the heart. The other thief was cut to the heart. (laughs) He was still mocking. He was still cursing. Oh, but that other thief, that, that thief on the other side, he was pricked in the heart. And he began to make some of the most staunch and faithful sayings there's ever think about this turn turn with me just for a minute back over to luke chapter 23 sometimes you say what is it what is an example of faith let me let me just read you an example of faith this thief on the cross it says in verse 39 that this thief He's called a malefactor. We call him a thief. He was actually a robber, and that's a different thing. This malefactor, was he railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. If you go read Matthew 27, you'll see that both of these thieves were saying the same things. They weren't, there wasn't one good thief and one bad thief. There were two bad thieves. But now something's happened between that time that Matthew's talking about, and this time right here, in verse 40, the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly. We hear often about conviction, people coming under conviction. I believe in people coming under conviction. I just don't believe it the way the world teaches it. 
Often you hear in the world that people come under conviction and then they have to make a decision in order to move forward and to be born again. Beloved, no man who's not been born again will ever come under conviction. These thieves here were not under conviction when they were on the cross. Oh, but there came a time when this thief became under conviction by the operation not of a preacher and not of a Bible tract and not of any other kind of sermon or anything like that, but by the direct operation of the Holy Spirit here because nobody else got to him. But he said here, we are indeed justly condemned. You know, that's the conviction I'm talking about. (laughs) You know, one of the worst feelings I've ever had is realizing I was a sinner in need of a Savior. (laughs) And then one of the greatest feelings I've ever had is realizing that Jesus was that Savior. And He completely saved me from my sins. Notice what He says. Listen to this faithful saying here. We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. By faith now, he has seen something in Jesus that he didn't see before. By faith, he has seen something that the other thief has never seen. And he looked unto Jesus. He said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Now, I want you to notice how great a statement of faith that is. We don't have time to go back here tonight and talk about how, how, how tortured Jesus was. We're told, though, in one place his visage was so marred more than any man. He didn't even, that, that either, some, I heard somebody recently say that either, either means he was, uh, he didn't look like himself at all, you couldn't recognize him, or that he didn't even look like a man. I don't know, it could have been a little of both. He had a crown of thorns had been pressed down on his head, and not little stickers either, thorns, that caused his, shredded his scalp and caused the blood to run down. He was hanging on a cross like a common criminal being crucified by the Romans. And you tell me he looked like a king? That's what this thief says. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He didn't look like anything. He didn't look anything like a king. He didn't look anything like a lord. He looked like a common criminal who had reached the end of his days and was all washed up and suffering a just reward here. That's what he looked like. Oh, but that thief said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. What a statement of faith. Beloved, this thief wasn't praying to get faith. This thief had faith. This thief already had experienced the grace of God. And Jesus didn't say, if you'll just accept me, or if you'll just make, pray this prayer, or if you'll do this, or you'll do that. He, he didn't say any of that. He said, verily, that is truthfully, if I've ever said the truth, wherever it has been said, this is true, Jesus is saying. I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Praise God. Praise God. What a statement of faith. Same kind of statement of faith made by those hearers over in Acts chapter 2 who were pricked in the heart. But notice what happens when you don't have faith already. When you don't already have faith in your heart. In chapter 7 again of Acts, when when they hear the gospel, they were cut to the heart. Why is that? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it? That is the heart in its natural state. 
The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. You see, in nature, without an, a prior act of the Holy Spirit upon that heart, it's as hard as iron. <laughs> there is no place for the gospel. There is no place to receive the gospel. They were cut to the heart, and notice what it did. It just made them mad. They gnashed on him with their teeth. But now look at here at our, our verse, verse 55. Remember, Jesus stood still for Bartimaeus. But it says here that Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Jesus stood up for Stephen. Jesus stood up for Stephen. He stood still for Bartimaeus here in this life. He was his help. He was his comfort. And here at the end of Stephen's life, he stood up for Stephen. I talked with Brother Buddy about this. I think I've heard him preach on it before. Why did he do that? Why, why? He's seated at the right hand of his father. Why did he stand up? Well, I don't know all the answers to that, but I just find great comfort in the fact that one of his dear little children was being persecuted. And I'll tell you, beloved, whenever I was, my kids were small and they were out in the yard playing and I could see one of them maybe about to get into a fight or about to be hit or something like that, what I do? I was sitting there, but I stood up. <laughs> I stood up so I could be ready to help them. Jesus stood up here for his dear servant who was about to lose his life for the cause of Christ. <laughs> Stephen like Bartimaeus, was just a sinner. He, he had no special record. He wasn't holding a high position of authority in any kind of Gentile or pagan world. What, what's the deal? The Romans didn't care. The Romans obviously didn't care, care enough about Stephen to stop the Jews from stoning him. Jews weren't legally allowed to execute capital punishment. And yet here they did. The Romans, they weren't off somewhere. I'm sure there were plenty of Roman soldiers around and they didn't even think enough of Stephen to intervene and stop him. He wasn't anybody. No more so than blind Bartimaeus. Why did Jesus stand still for Bartimaeus? Why did he stand up for Stephen? I believe it's because there was a time when the Lord Jesus Christ sat down. And because he sat down, he stood up and stood still for these others. Over in Hebrews, the first chapter, and listen to this in verse, uh, we'll just read from the beginning. It says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, speaking of Jesus, being the brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person, speaking of Jesus, being the express image of God's person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he, that is Jesus, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Why did he sit down? Because he was finished. John, the 19th chapter and the 30th verse tells us that he cried out from the cross. It is finished. Not long after he had told this thief on the cross who had had this experience of grace. He said, you'll be with me today in paradise. And then not long after that, he cried out with a loud voice, it is finished. Praise God. You know why he sat down? Because it was finished. 
He had completed his work. When, G, when God finished the creative work in six days, what did he do? He rested on the seventh day. Not because he needed to rest, not because he was tired, but because he was finished. Over in the 10th chapter here, he elaborates on this just a little bit. In chapter 10 of <clears throat> Hebrews, he begins talking about men's efforts and the law. So many people are living under the law today. So many people are trying to achieve eternal salvation by something that they do. But notice what this says. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers unto thereunto perfect. Let me, let me say this. Not one sacrifice that was ever made of, of bulls and goats and lambs Put away one sin. It, didn't, it, it was not efficacious to do anything to those sins. All it was was a remembrance. Notice as we continue reading. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? If they were enough, wouldn't you have stopped making the, making the sacrifices? Because the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. In other words, if those sacrifices worked like many people thought they did, then you wouldn't have to keep making them every year because one sacrifice would put them away. But notice what they really did. Verse 3, in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. In other words, all that the law did was remind those children of Israel that they were sinners. It didn't purge sins. It didn't put it away. There was nothing wrong with the law. The law is spiritual, Paul said. The problem is I'm carnal, sold under sin. I need more than the law to be able to go to heaven. In those sacrifices, there is a remembrance of, again made of sins every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. All of men's efforts through the law or otherwise are fruitless when it comes to everlasting life, to eternal salvation. But notice then he turns to, to, to what Jesus did. Wherefore, verse 5, when he cometh into the world... He saith, that's talking about Jesus, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. See, Jesus came down as the perfect sacrifice. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. But you know what Isaiah 53 says? It says, he shall look upon the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. He took pleasure in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, not that he was glad that it happened or enjoyed it, but that it satisfied his the need for the wrath of God to be poured out upon sin. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written to me to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. In other words, he takes away the law economy that he might establish the grace economy. He takes away the Old Testament. He doesn't, you know, the Old Testament, nothing wrong with the Old Testament. Nothing wrong with the law. It's just that you and I couldn't fulfill it. It's wrong with, what's wrong is with us. But Jesus came and fulfilled the law. And now there's an age that I, we call the church age or whatever you want to call it, but it's the age of grace. You know, and in one sense, grace has always, it's always been the age of grace. It's just more manifest now than ever before. You remember the law was a shadow. 
It just, you could look at the law and kind of figure it out. But now we have the very image. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Notice he didn't say once, the, uh, the sacrifice or the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all plus your good works or good decisions. It says that Jesus Christ came one time, once for all time, He came. And that's how we are sanctified. Now look, verse 11 and 12, as we bring this to a close. Every priest standeth daily ministering. You know why the priests were standing daily and ministering? Because they weren't finished. Their, their, their work wasn't over. Their work never ended. Their work did not end until that day that the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. For every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. You know, that's a, a good statement to just encapsulate the whole law, isn't it? The law, all those sacrifices, they never could take away sins. Why? So why did he... Did they have to sacrifice? What was the point? It was to point us toward the perfect sacrifice that was coming. Now notice this. Every priest standeth daily ministering, he said. Verse 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. You know why? Jesus could stand still for blind Bartimaeus and minister to him in this world. Why blind Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus could have faith in the first place. You know why Jesus could stand up for precious Stephen who's about to give up the ghost and come home to be with him? It's because this man sat down. You know why he sat down? Because he had made one offering or one sacrifice for sins forever. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Do you find yourself in the position of a blind Bartimaeus in desperate need of God's help here and now, whether it's physically or spiritually? Maybe you're not blind literally, but maybe you're struggling blindly through this world. You see yourself on the brink of death. You find yourself about to give up the ghost and fearing that, that death that's coming to all of us as the Lord tarries. Guess what? You don't have to fear that. Jesus stands still to hear you. He may stand up to receive you. But that's all because he sat down after making one sacrifice for sins forever. How, how are we perfected? By one offering. Not by our offering. Not by our decisions or our works. But by his offering. He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God because he was finished with the work of salvation.
Praise God. I'm so thankful for the finished work that's found only in the sacrifice of Christ. The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.